Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And this is Playing Playing With Science. Today we delve into the sport of kings, a.k.a. horse racing. So what makes a winner? Is it nature or nurture? Or does nature need a nudge? One of, if not, the world's leading expert on thoroughbred genetics is Dr. Stephen Harrison, who will untangle the equine DNA for us and show us how you go about breeding a Kentucky Derby winner. And giving us a view from the top, on top of a a horse that is, is former championship steeplechase jockey and a person actively involved in buying and selling bloodstock is Sean Clancy. So saddle up, it's time to ride out. But first, let's talk to Dr. Stephen Harrison. How are you, Doctor? I'm very well, thank you, Gary. How are you? Um, I'm fabulous. Thank you for asking. Uh, right, thoroughbred genetics. Um, quite an interesting title. So let's ask a quite simple question. How do you go about or what makes a thoroughbred horse? Ah, uh, Well, a thoroughbred horse is, is, is a fantastic animal. It's a fantastically athletic animal. It's, it's totally artificial, of course. It's been evolved over the course of about 350 years just by man. It wouldn't have evolved naturally. It, it has its roots going back into the 1600s. But the, the first stud book was set up in, in 1791. And from that point onwards, every horse that was bred for racing that was called a thoroughbred has to be in that stud book. So over 350 years, what we've got is, is concerted breeding that's happened and it's concentrated genes in these animals that are so specific just for racing. And, that, you know, you don't get any other animals like them. If you took any thoroughbred, even the worst thoroughbred, and you put it up against a horse of any other breed, not, not one that's been derived from a thoroughbred, like a quarter horse, but any other breed, it would beat them. Even the worst thoroughbreds are faster than anything else. And they've got all the genetic combinations that make them just pure racing animals. So, Doctor, with that in mind, when you talk about selective breeding, um, how does genetic diversity play into that? Or is there enough diversity in the pool that makes up thoroughbreds? Because I thought that, you know, if you had genetic diversity, you were actually stronger. But you're saying that, you know, these animals are so narrow in their in, in, in their breeding that that's why they're bred basically for running and for, for, for racing. That's it. So how does diversity play into that? That's true. That's a great question because diversity is really important. And uh, I would kind of argue that thoroughbreds probably aren't as inbred as people think they are. If Uh, you look at the thoroughbred breed themselves, you pick out individuals, but they all look quite different. They're all different colors, they're all different sizes. You get ones running over different distances. 
They uh, jumped over jumps in jumps racing. They run on the flat. So they are quite versatile, uh, which would, is, is a strong indication that they're not particularly inbred. They're all, they've evolved over 350 years to be racing animals, but there's so much diversity in the racing within that group that, that there's no real massive fixation like um, you're getting pedigree dogs, for instance. In fact, right. thoroughbreds, I would say, are pedigree mongrels, basically. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow, that's interesting. That's really cool, actually. <laughs> they're, so they're very much like human, human beings. <laughs> very much so, but like a, a, a group of athletes in a, in a running club, they're all different, but they're all doing the same job. Right, right. All right, wow. so we, we've kind of got to the nub of what a thoroughbred is, and thank you. Now, the bit that interests everybody with a dollar in their pocket how do breeders slash owners and trainers gain an edge or a winning edge from the sort of work that you do with these thoroughbred horses? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question too. And um, we, we set the company up in, in 2000, so it's been going a few years now with uh, the view to getting all this, you know, this, this pedigree data and all this performance data that has been collected over the last 350 years and trying to make genetic sense out of it by applying DNA tests. So what we were trying to do is actually make sense of what works and what doesn't work. And the edge comes in what we would consider to be something like the equivalent you had on your show a few weeks ago, the money ball. So what we're doing is using the probability of looking at a whole load of genes that we think are important or not important and seeing what animals have which genes and looking at the balance they've got and seeing how that works in probability-wise, just like it would in, in Moneyball. So we're looking at a, a 35 to 40% heritability of, of, racing, um, of racing ability. And we look at all these different factors and we put them in a statistical model and we, when, we're, when we're looking at horses to breed or horses to buy, we'll uh, use that system to assess um, a kind of money ball type system. So we, an example, recently we looked at a whole lot of yearlings that we'd help people buy over the last few years. So in terms of prize money, quality of race and um, their official ratings, we estimated that probably using the system we got gave a 30% increase to all those things over the system we, we would use if, if we didn't use the genetics input. Ooh. Gotcha. Uh, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, you must have come pretty popular within the uh, bloodstock business. We, 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 we kind of have our, our fans and we have our kind of fatty blood art fans as well. I think it's a very traditional business. And again, you know, using the money ball analogy, you, you, you know, you saw what kind of uh, resistance there was to that in terms of baseball and, you know, certainly in, in, in soccer to a certain extent. Is there resistance? Is there the old ways are the best and don't try and change it? Could be, yeah, but I mean, the, some of the old ways are great. I mean, there've been a lot of successes uh, in, in in the old ways. But you you look at um, adding extra things as you go along in in terms of trying to increase the percentage in every little way. So if you think about, say, Vincent O'Brien, the, the great racehorse trainer, he used to look at so many different things. He used to um, take every little small thing into account and make sure he was the most successful. It's the same as as the British um, cycling team in the Olympics. The, the small things they take into account make a big difference. So when it comes to the breeding and uh, the genetic markers that you're looking for, is, it, is there anything that you find, or uh, like in human beings, there are certain mutations that we have that cause certain things. Uh, is, does it work the same way in horses that, that you might find something that says, okay, this, 
this horse will be uh, more likely to yes and no because of these anomalies that you find? I'm not just talking about the, the things that you know you're looking for. Are, that's, my, that's my real question. Are there things you find that you weren't looking for when you do these tests that may be beneficial or detrimental to the horse? Yeah, there are, there are always uh, kind of anomalies that you find, and, and a lot of them aren't necessarily anomalies. They're just things we, we've never found before. I mean, we, you don't kind of find very often major mutations that, that other horses don't have. It's normally a mutation that lots of horses have. It's happened a long time back, and it's been selected for on the basis of its um, its contribution to racing ability. But there aren't any kind of major things that you'd see that just suddenly appear uh, you know, for instance, uh, sprinting and um, and distance ability um, in a broad sense is down to a single mutation in the muscle genes. Mm-hmm. So um, it, would, it would broadly say that a horse is going to be a short-distance horse, a long-distance horse, or a middle-distance horse. But the effects are so obvious. You know, the muscly horse uh, looks like a sprinter, the leaner horse looks like a stayer. So you don't even bother testing for it a lot of the time. What you're more interested in are the smaller genes that say, what kind of a sprinter is it going to be? Is it going to be a really short-distance sprinter? Or is it going to be a long-distance sprinter? It's, it's these kind of fine-tuning genes that are, are the most important that would make a difference to trainers, for instance, because they wow. know by looking at a horse that it's a short-distance horse. Right. They don't know what kind of... Was it a 5 8 to a mile horse or, or is it a mile horse? You know, it, you've got to look at all these other different little genes as well. Wow. I mean, if I remember my, if I remember my high school or A-level biology, the power house of a cell is the mitochondrial and you've got mitochondrial genes that you that you look for i mean please explain just how vital they are within the horse dna but we've got a we've got a big kind of uh, affection for those because they're the first ones that we really showed that had an association with um stamina and, and speed so back in 2006 we looked at a whole lot of samples from about a thousand horses and we categorized them based on the mitochondrial genes and we saw again by looking at um, pedigrees that were, were extrapolated from the samples. Because just, I need to point out that the mitochondrial DNA is only passed on down the female side, so it doesn't get broken up by any kind of randomization. And you can therefore then say that a horse has got that pedigree, therefore it should have that particular mitochondrial set of genes. So we could then work out what in history, what, how many types had won the Derby, how many types had won the, the Kentucky Derby, all, all the kind of different races. So we could say you know, that, that, that particular type is associated more with short distance, that type is associated with long distance. And then we started building this into models uh, for, for genetics. And what we would do is consider that to be like, uh, again, we're going back to your previous shows, like a NASCAR F1 argument. So we'd have a, a, a we call, we'd call a, a mitochondrial genes a chassis and we'd try and build the rest of the horse around it. So if it was a long distance chassis, we try and get other genes in that made it a long distance horse so that we made coordinated horses or help breed coordinated horses so that they were very specific and ran over certain distances to the best of their ability rather than being uh, even bigger mongrels than they already are. Wow. So let me ask you with respect to uh, steroids, because I read that steroid use um, amongst horse uh, trainers, it's totally, it's not like our sports they're used and they're sanctioned and so it's okay to do that but that had to be a relatively new development in horse racing um i'm talking about going back over the years of the history of the sport as gary said it's the sport of kings um have you seen any effect 
that steroids might have had on the genetic makeup of horses in their lineage, or is it just too short a period of time to affect the uh, development of DNA in that way? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the steroids wouldn't have any effect on the DNA, but, but also uh, you're not actually allowed to use steroids to any great excess in, in, in thoroughbreds. I mean, whilst they're actually racing, they can be used as a treatment, but until it's out of the system, they can't run again. I mean, ah. um, particularly in Europe, they're really, really tough on, on drugs. You can't even use Lasix to run uh, horses on here like you can in the USA. So, so let me just get that straight. You can use it as a means of treating the horse, as a means of recovery, but you can't use it as a means of performance enhancement. Is that the case? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, no, you, you okay. can't use it as a means of performance enhancement, but uh, you, you, it is helpful uh, in terms of treatment um, if you need a horse that needs it. Okay, well, that, 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 that clears up my understanding then. Yeah, so the, the, there you go. Forget what I asked then. That, All that right, doc, doctor, um, we've we sort of clarified the, the, the obvious. You can analyze DNA. That'll tell you whether this guy is going to go fast over a short distance, faster over a middle or a longer distance, or the power is there for jumping, all the, all the, all the indicators, biological indicators, without actually physically looking at it. But can your data analysis then go beyond breeding? For instance, can you then, using this information, indicate which training techniques will work better for certain horses? Does it have other knock-on effects in a positive sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the way that, that um, it affects training is actually really important for us. Um, so, for instance, uh, if, if we've got a whole lot of different genes involved in stamina and speed, that definitely affects the kind of way you train them. Uh, for instance, we've got an example at the moment. We, we, we help people who've got a two-year-old that did really well last year, won graded races, and this year they're having to decide whether to put it in the one-and-a-half-mile English derby or not because some indications genetically are that it might not make that trip. And we're kind of deliberating at the moment as to whether or not it should run in the French derby. Uh, which is a, a mile and a quarter. But then you come up with another problem then is that the French Derby is often run in very soft ground. So does that then make that race a mile and a half? So, yeah, I mean, this, it is being used uh, by our, our, our clients to do that. Uh, and also you get cases where um, somebody's bought a horse or they bred a horse that's basically got mismatched bodywork. Again, we're going back to that analogy with the motor car racing with the NASCAR and the Formula One. Sometimes you get a, a car, a horse that's been made up of a Formula One chassis, uh, a NASCAR bodywork, and, and a Formula One engine. What we don't want is that to happen. What we want is a horse that's geared up to run over a set distance with all the genetic components in place. So we, we then have to take the best course of action and say, well, that horse is, is more of a, a mile and a half horse, therefore train it for a mile and a half. Um, so it's, it's, it's taking things on balance and probability again. Wow. So let me ask you this with respect to what you just said. Uh, um you look at like all the money that is spent in the 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 breeding and this is like just a multi-million dollar industry and everybody wants to get that secretariat everybody wants to get that you know that unbelievable horse and i hear owners speak about their horses as athletes and i also hear them say things like this horse wants to win Okay, or they talk about the temperament of the horse. Are they projecting? Are they anthropomorphizing? Or is that real? And if it's real, could there be a gene linked to those qualities that seem to be intangible? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. They've definitely got personalities and they definitely, uh, their minds work in different ways. There are so many examples of that. I mean, and some of them aren't very pleasant, to be honest. Some of the ones that win races are just not pleasant characters. There was, uh, there was a horse <laughs> called Moonax that used to run an island. It used to veer off across the track to attack other horses so they didn't get past it. <laughs> oh, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite entertaining to watch. But, um, then, I mean, I, I had the privilege to ride Red Rum when I was a boy and he was not particularly pleasant. No. Wow. You, you rode Red Rum. Stop the... Yeah, I did. Hold the I page. Knew. You rode Red Rum? <laughs> that was that was when wow. I was a lot lighter. Yeah. Well, uh, listen. Let hey, hey, Doc, Doc. Let's be serious. If you're riding a horse named Red Rum, that's murder backwards. I don't expect it to be nice. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't oh, my, Chuck, my last memory, Chuck, this it? is a Grand National winner. This this horse was a national treasure. Am I right, Doctor? Oh yeah, it was a fantastic horse. I mean, but no, I went to see him just before he died, actually, and my last memory of him was him biting me because I didn't give him the last polo mint. Um, so you know, that'll teach you. That's the sign of a true champion. Behind closed yeah. doors, they're, they're all a holes. <laughs> so, Doctor, um, apart from our little, I like the fact you rode red rum. I'm just thrilled to bits. Um, where does your work go from here? Is there another level and another area you can take it to in terms of genetics? Uh, yeah, well, we keep, we keep on uh, developing new uh, genetic analysis all the time. And, uh, you know, we, we're trying to improve it all the time. But you know, it, it, there are so many variables involved. It's, we can't cover everything all in the first go. And, uh, uh, you know, it's only still early days, even though we've been doing it for um, since uh, 2000. But um, we're adding to it all the time. Um, there's... If you look at all the variables, uh, I mean, if you look at um, with the factors we look at between 75 and 750 genes and about three different variants, um, so there are so many different combinations. But, you know, every now and again, you get a good horse comes along like Frankel or um, Justify, you know, it happens. And if you look at um, the, um, the odds of winning a five-card poker hand, which is uh, if you get a royal flush, that's 650,000 to one. If you consider that, there are so many more genes involved than there are cards in a, in a deck. The, the combinations are unbelievable. What we're trying to do is cut down that, uh, that, that kind of um, failure rate, if you like, and to promote um, the better odds in achieving that royal flush with the horses. Wow. So now that, that kind of brings you into genetic engineering. Do you see a time where engineering will be just where the industry is and the people who have the best... Uh, um, the, the the best facilities for engineering a horse uh, genetically will be the ones who who produce winners. <laughs> there's, there's you veering off to the dark side again. You were talking about steroids. Now you're talking about engineering things. You, hey, you hey, can't keep you down, can you? I mean, uh, come on, Doc. Listen, I got to go there, man. You know people are thinking this stuff. You know people are thinking this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, you, you can't you can't use genetic manipulation in in thoroughbreds. It's not allowed. You can't even use artificial insemination. The, the, the stallion has to get down to business and do it there uh, okay. in situ. You you can't even use artificial insemination. So right. um, that that that's not going to happen. But, oh, but it's okay. interesting what you say about 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 the money involved though, because you, with with thoroughbred breeding and with thoroughbred racing, you you've essentially got different leagues within the thoroughbred world. So you've got like your, your Premier League going down to your conference, if you look at English soccer terms, or your high school going all the way up to your NFL, if you look at American ones. The people who 
kind of reside in the Premier League are the ones with more money. So they can buy better better horses, they can buy better mares, they can use better stallions. Uh, so they're getting better genes involved in, in, in their horses. And we've looked at um, the cast-offs of some of these big organizations that have got fantastic breeding programs. We, we look at them when they come through the sales and we, we kind of look at the genetics of them and we, we, we graphically represent what we find into little shapes that are characteristic of certain groups. And you can always see that the cast-offs from the best breeding organizations or the biggest ones have got a certain pattern which is different from any of the other patterns. So that they concentrate their own kind of genes within their own kind of breeding groups and that, you know, if they ever come up for sale, they're, they're certainly worth buying into because the genes that ordinary breeders can't generally get their hands on. Wow. Wow. That is, that's just fascinating stuff, man. I mean, like, who would think that the is. world of horse breeding would be so intricate and, you know, so, so incredibly uh, um, uh, scientifically engaging. So this is, this is really just great stuff, man. Uh, I'm so glad that you came and, and told us. About, I mean, it's really, really fascinating. Oh, no. It's, I mean, Chuck, you want a great horse, then you got to get great genes. Well, this is true. And, you know, a lot of times I say, if I want great genes, I got to go see a good horse. So <laughs> there you go. Right now, I got to go see a man about a horse. So, no. <laughs> All right. Doctor, thank you. Um, and thank you for well, opening you. up our minds to the world of thoroughbred genetics. It is fascinating, and uh, we'll keep an eye on your studies and your developments because I think, as you said, there is more to come. Great. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Uh, pleasure's been ours, Doctor. Thank you very much, Dr. Stephen Harrison there from Thoroughbred Genetics over in the UK. We are going to take a commercial break. When we come back, former championship steeplechase jockey Sean Clancy and a man who's at the cutting edge of the doctor's work in bloodstock, the buying and selling of horses, racehorses that is. Stick around. We'll be back very, very shortly. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome back to Playing With Science. Thank you to Dr. Harrison from Thoroughbred Genetics. All right, that is simply what the scientists are thinking about horse DNA. But what is it truly like to be on the back, on top of a horse, to be the person who's actually going to go to the auction and buy it? Well, it's quite simple. We've combined both of those people into one, and we have Sean Clancy with us right now. Okay, and time to welcome Sean Clancy, a former championship jump jockey. Yes! Yeah, and yeah. now if you ever want a true test of manhood, Charles, oh my get God. on the back of one of these big beasts. No. Don't run flat. No. Find yourself a series of jumps. Oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait to talk to him ride. because it's right? steeplechase. Oh my God, this, this man actually ran steeplechase. Well, he didn't run it. The horses ran it, but he was a jockey and a championship jockey. And I am fascinated by that. I can't wait to talk to him about I it. No, but that's that's one part of this guy's life. I know. The other side of this life is bloodstock. So we spoke, we speak to Dr. Harrison. We find out what the theory is about, you know, what it takes to be a great thoroughbred. Right. Someone's actually got to put that theory into practice. Yes. Now, Sean does that with bloodstock. So the buying, selling, understanding, looking at of horses. This is where Sean comes in. This is putting into practice the theories that Dr. Harrison discussed with us. So, Sean Clancy, welcome to Playing With Science, sir. Hi, guys. Hey, Sean. Okay. All right. We got to get into bloodstock because, you know, we're, we're talking about horses yeah. here. That's, That's what this show is about and, uh, you know, the, the science behind it, which is fascinating. But before we do that, Man, I just got to talk to you about steeplechase and what it's like to actually do this. So, okay, Pitbull, here's what you do. Picture a horse race, okay, like the Kentucky Derby, which is already dangerous enough, right? It's already fast-moving enough, right? You have these horses thundering around a track, okay? And then all of a sudden, it's like, let's jump a small river. <laughs> That's steeplechase. Yo, man, you got to just talk to me about this. How'd you get into it? And what? What is it like when you are, I mean, this this isn't some equestrian show where you see the guys, you know, There's kind no of music. going around a little a little arena and they're, you know, they make the jumps and then they trot. And you guys are full out like sprinting and jumping hedges and water hazards. And tell me about it. Well, for me, I mean, I grew up with it, so it made perfect sense. I mean, I once you look outside your life, you realize it makes no sense. But when you're growing up and your dad's doing it and your friends are doing it, you're living on a farm. And uh, it was a very natural thing for me to do. I mean, I started riding pony races when I was 13. Um, I actually won my first pony race and uh, the stirrup fell off the saddle and I fell off the pony and the pony ran over me and got seven stitches. So that was my first ride. And, um, and you went back. <laughs> yeah, that was my first when I was 13 years old, and uh, that pretty much sums up the um, the career of a steeplechase jockey. You have the yep. you know, in in one race you can win and fall and go to the hospital. So um, it's. Uh, I mean, pure adrenaline. Um, it's amazing how slow it can actually be going. I mean, when you're going 30 miles an hour on a horse in a pack of 10, 12, 14 horses going two miles, two and a quarter, two and a half miles, 
it actually goes really slowly. I mean, you know, when you're in that moment, um, when you get good, I mean, at least when you get that kind of experience, when I was a, the, the young kids, it's going really fast. And for the older guys, uh, it slows down. And, um, you know, then you're really tactically trying to ride a race and trying to do all the things like any athlete is uh, trained to do. And um, I always laugh. The, I've retired now, but I always laugh when I see these jump jockeys. They'll say, I, they'll retire. And they'll say, I don't know what I'm going to do to find what, how I'm going to find something to replace riding jump races. And I go, well, that's your first mistake. There is nothing that's going to replace there riding chase races. So find something else that might give you some pleasure or, you know, some right. interest, some challenge, but forget replacing it. Cause that's impossible. Yeah. Like, you know, just become, become like a, uh, I don't know, like a, what do they call them? A bomb diffuser. Anything yeah. like yeah. something that would bring your adrenaline to the highest point that it could possibly give you be. an echo of what it takes. Right. Like, give you <laughs> just a small like taste of what it's like. I have to tell you, I'm going to get off of it now. Cause we got to move on to the yeah. horses, but it is anybody just go on YouTube people and just put in steeplechase and just watch some of these races. If you want to, I mean, your adrenaline. This is, why I, this is why it excites me so. I can't imagine how the jockeys feel, uh, how the jump guys feel, because my adrenaline is pumped just watching. See, it's not just the adrenaline, because you can go and get an adrenaline rush in a number of different places in a number of different ways. I am on another species that has its own free will and mind, mm. and I'm trying to get it to do stuff. It is such a test of yourself and then being able to orchestrate this other beast to do this thing, and you have to have a synergy between... It's, okay, it is the most question. amazing. Interesting question, Sean. So, race car drivers often say, I feel like I'm at one with this machine. Great point. I feel like I'm at one with this machine. I feel like I'm at one with the road. Do you... Do you feel that connection when you're with the animal? Do you? Does it feel like you guys are in sync together, or is that just some kind of machination, the, the romantic machination that we put in our heads? Uh, no, for sure. I mean, when it's going well, you feel like you're at one with the horse for sure. I mean, you're really you're thinking the same. You're uh, you're reacting the same. Uh, the horse's instincts are are your instincts. A good horse, the moment you think. God, we should go like at a jump. You say, man, we should be going long at this. And and the moment you even get that thought, like the moment you get the split second, the millisecond you think long, he thinks the same thing and increases to that stride. That's when it's going well. That's when it's going, going poorly, well. there's no in sync and it's a complete disaster. When, it's you, like, when you guys are having a, uh, tel a telepathy argument, that's when yeah. things... <laughs> Yeah. Right. So the interesting thing is race car drivers, it's all about horsepower. Like with Sean, only there's quite a hundred, there's right. several, hundred, several more. hundred more. But all right, let's, let's bring it back to where we are. And um, all right, we are, we're in an auction. Just imagine that, Chuck and I, mm -hmm. with a seat, suitcase full of dollars or whatever the currency is. Yep. What's the first thing you would look for in a horse if you were looking to purchase one? Uh, I mean, I look them dead in the eye. You know, as soon as I see a horse, the first thing I look is right in their eye and try to get a sense of um, who they are. I mean, I can get a pretty good sense. I mean, anybody's been around horses, you get a good sense of the horse's um, kind of attitude, his confidence level, his approach to life. Um, so you kind of look them in the eye. And then my first move is just to look at the balance. I mean, I think the most important thing 
when you're looking at a horse is just if they're balanced because uh, there's big ones, small ones, there's skinny ones, there's tall ones, there's narrow ones. Uh, what you want is balance, just how they walk, how they stand. Uh, you want everything to go together. So uh, what I try to do is just as they walk out of the stall, you look them out I like to look them right in the eye and um, and just see their head, their presence, and then watch them walk and see if they have that balance that I like. And and pre- presence is a lot of it. You really want a horse with a, with. Um, so you can't you can't write a theory or an equation or do research. Not for that. No, that's got to come from experience. That's experience. So when you say balance, I'm just trying to understand: Are you talking about like musculature? Are you talking about symmetry? Are you talking about a gestalt, which is you know the way the animal carry itself, along with all these other aspects? What exactly do you mean by balance? You want what you want in a horse. You want a you want a big strong front end, but you but you also need the strong hind end to push that front end. So you know that when you go like you if you walk in the paddock for the Kentucky Derby, there'll be twenty horses in there, and they will be all different shapes and sizes. But for pretty much all of them, they will be balanced. So mm-hmm. if you have a light made horse that's athletic, you need to have a really light. You want a light front end, light hind end, light middle. So so it all kind of goes together. What you don't want in a horse is a big, he, you know, heavy neck, heavy shoulder, gotcha. but then not have the hind end to push that or the walk to, uh, to to maintain that. A lot of most of the auctions, you're just seeing them walk. So like at a yearling sale, you're only seeing them walk. So you're really trying to figure out by that walk how they're going to gallop, how they're going to race, how you know when they go faster, um, how much balance they're going to have. That's really what you're trying to do. It's kind of like um, professional. Um, what's it called when the guys bodybuilders like professional bodybuilders? That's how they're judged. Kind of like it's all about. It's an aesthetic. Yeah, it's and, a, and then again, it's balance. It's balance and aesthetic. At the so same okay, time. Chuck cool. and I, we're, we're two multi-billionaires. Right. Don't tell the accountant. Yes. Um, what's the biggest mistake Chuck and I are going to make? For sure, absolutely guaranteed as newbies. As as a novice, as a novice billionaire trying to get into the horse game, baby. Well, the most important thing in a public auction is you don't want to you don't want to get caught up in the moment, uh, the ego part to try to show off, and and because it's a big adrenaline rush. Uh, the public auction, what they always tell you, you got to remember the auction team is not um, not friends with the buyer, so they're trying to get you to spend more. Um, so you want to keep that in check. You want to keep your emotions in check, your ego in check. As far as a horse goes, I think the most important thing when you look at a horse, you don't, uh, what I think what you make, the biggest mistake you make is going into it with preconceptions. So if you see a horse, like we, it's a lot about pedigrees and a lot about, um, different things and, you know, consigners who owns the horse, um, and things like that. So if you go into it, as you walk up to the horse and you have a liking to that stallion and maybe the mare, you will have that kind of, you'll, you'll want to like the horse rather than just that instinct of, mm. is this the right horse or not? Like my best moves are almost like when I not really looking for the horse. It's like when you, you know, you're just, you're, and you don't know who the stallion is. You don't know who the mare is. And you, you're almost just, it's almost like it, it catches you by surprise and and the public auctions much is difficult because you're obviously in the public auction marketplace but like my best moves privately is when i'm not even like going to look at the horse and the horse just i see a horse and i go wow look at that horse those are my best moves so you kind of want to go into it with an open mind rather than a preconception or somebody tells you about a horse oh you'll love this horse 
you're much better with a blank slate just walking in and, and oh, it's getting like, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like drafting when you're in, in, in every other major league sport i mean you know they tell you like don't have your preconceived notions about the player you got to make sure that you know you're looking at what you're looking at mm. and with that in mind here's what i want to ask you have you ever seen a horse that like let's equate this to like the nfl draft or the right. nba draft right um that have you ever seen a horse where it's like a six-round pick, but it becomes a phenomenal player. Has that is and and is that common or just or is it just the genetics and all the other things that we look at kind of make that? Uh, uh, no, it happens all you know, the time. Unlikely. It's not common, but certainly like at a at a Keeneland, the biggest yearling sale in America is Keeneland, and they sell Keeneland September. Um, and these horses are just over a year old, a year and a half old, um, and or a year and about it. They're you, you, you know they're about 16, 18 months old, and they sell five thousand horses there. And there's horses come out of that sale that are way deep in the in the book that don't bring a lot, you know, aren't bringing a lot of money. Um, so yeah, there's certainly horses come out of the out of the um, you know break the mold. Most of those horses don't have pedigree, but they have confirmation they're, they're a great looking horse or they're somehow just an athletic looking horse there's a lot of old things that you're not supposed to do uh with horses you know all these crazy you know confirmation things um but ultimately most horses will break those rules too so um yeah those horses will come out of nowhere for sure sean i must ask you okay this is this is my cynicism if someone is selling a horse then there must be something wrong with it Ooh, Otherwise, they that's, keep it. That's, that's cool. uh, it, yeah. No, I know. I, honestly, it's a good question. Uh, and you know, it's funny because my brother used to sell real estate. Yeah. And the first thing you ask is, so why are they selling the home? Exactly. Like, why are you getting rid of this home? <laughs> we put a lot of money into this four-legged straw-eating machine, right? So I want to know. So how do you go about getting that mindset or taking it away? No, that's important. And there there are, I mean, when I go to a yearling sale, I'll, I'll certainly know, I try to know who's selling the horse, who owns the horse. There are some, some people breed horses to sell. So that's their business. They are breed, they've raised that horse to sell. They bring their horse to a marketplace, just like any marketplace, whether you're selling apples or, or cars or whatever. So, you know, you, you want to take that into consideration. Um, and, and that's certainly, as, it's certainly an element of it. Sometimes you go and you're like, yeah, these guys race all their horses but they're selling this horse that's probably a bad sign a, a kind of a red flag certainly when it's when they're older and a more in a private session like for me i sell a lot of steeplechase horses and prospects that are three and four year olds that are running and that's always one i mean the first thing i think is okay why are these guys selling this horse if I know the people and they only want really some great flat horses and this horse isn't isn't cutting that, then it makes perfect sense why they're selling that horse. So I'll buy that horse. Uh, if a guy is just randomly selling a horse that loves to race and has other options to keep racing the horse, then that's a red flag for sure. I mean, I'm like, I don't know about that. I don't know why that guy's selling that horse. It's certainly a, I mean, you, you, it's, it's, I mean, the, the stuff that goes into buying that horse certainly who owns the horse and why they're selling it is a part of it. And sometimes you'll say, oh, well, these guys breed, they breed a hundred horses a year and they sell all hundred. That makes perfect sense. I'm fine with that. If a guy breeds a hundred horses and sells three a year, yeah, you might nah, question. That's not the dude. You don't want to deal with that guy. Yeah. Interesting. Like, ah, hmm. So let me ask you this. When it comes to, you know, horses and everyone in the, in your, in your field, 
refers to them as athletes. They're like the athlete, this, the athlete, this is a great athlete. <clears throat> With respect to them being athletes, can you find a horse that may be at a certain level, say 80%, and then train that horse to get to the 100% that you're looking for, just like a regular athlete or a human athlete? Is that possible? Or exactly. are you limited by what the horse is and basically you're kind of stuck in that place? I mean, you're somewhat limited. You're not going to take a slow horse. I mean, an innately slow horse, you're not going to make that horse fast. Uh, you can certainly take a, uh, you might make them a little faster. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, if you're going for 20% better, sure, you can try to get them in a situation, a different, you put them in a trainer or they'll, de or they'll simply develop. There's, there's sire lines and, and pedigrees that get better with age. There's horses that are, some trainers are better than others. Some trainers are better with uh, sprint horses. Some trainers are better with older horses. Some trainers are better with turf horses. So you can move your horse around and try to adjust and, and kind of create a better environment. Um, just like athletes, you know, if, you, if, a, if a guy, you know, if a track and field runner is running a mile and you're thinking, God, he looks like he's more of a sprinter then you know, you'd shorten him up and try to train him differently and see if he could run a, you know, 1500 meters or whatever. So we do that a lot. I mean, you're constantly trying to tweak the horses and trying to adjust things to make them make them faster, make them more competitive for sure. Sean, what, how many thoroughbreds on the market at any one time? How many sold during the year? And just how much money is the thoroughbred market worth annually? Just so as people and myself get an idea of what we're talking about here. Well, I mean, like the thoroughbred, the North American thoroughbred crop, there's about 20,000 yearlings um, or 20,000 foals a year. Uh -huh. So there's, so roughly it's gone down. It was almost 40,000 in 1990. It's down to tw less than 20,000 now. Um, but of those horses, those 20,000, not all of those will go to a marketplace. Um, but like, for example, Keeneland is the biggest, that's, they, they sell the most yearlings. Um, and the yearling market is really, your horse would be born, obviously as a foal, uh, in the spring of the spring, the following fall. So he's a little over a year old is the, is the Keeneland's uh, September sale. And they sell five, almost 5,000 yearlings there. There are lots of other sales during the year. Um, so, I mean, I don't have a number on it, but I'd say probably, I mean, of a full crop of, of 20,000, I mean, probably 10,000 of them or, or would be, yeah, but well, I mean, probably, yeah, probably anywhere between five and 10. I mean, there's certainly lots of other yearling sales. So probably, you know, roughly half would be, would, would eventually go to a, uh, to a sale and they can be sold as what they call weanlings. So that's. Um, before they turn one year or just after they turn one um, yearling sales, there's two year old sales. So it's a big marketplace and there's, and it goes, I mean, there's huge numbers as far as what people pay for horses. I mean, it's, um, you know, you'll get like Keeneland. I mean, they'll sell, mil they'll sell two, $3 million yearlings and then they'll be selling some, you know, later in the books, they're selling very cheaply by the end. So fall to finish line, Kentucky Derby. I have to call it Derby because for me, it's a Derby. So I'm going to speak American. So it's Kentucky Derby. Thank you. Neil will be so proud of me, right? So what's it going to take? Fall to finish line. And where's my money going? Uh, as far as money goes, uh, well, it's going to cost you. I mean, it'll cost you a lot of money. Uh, if you're trying to breed one, you'd roughly, you're going to, you're going to uh, find a stallion that stands for 
50,000. I mean, you can, there's all the different levels, but that's just a stallion service to, you have a, you own the mare, you, you run, let's go say we'll spend 50,000 to breed to a stallion. Uh, you own that mare. That's going to cost you, you know, every day you own her. She, she's in full for 11 months. So you're paying day rate on that, which, <laughs> you know, you're roughly <laughs> safe as probably 50 bucks a day. Um, then, then you have the full, um, it doesn't even get to the races for, um, till it's two. Um, so you have, if you have that horse in training, that's going to be a hundred dollars a day from the time he goes to the track to the Derby. So, um, and then you have all the other vagaries of the game, which is, you know, the, all the lots of other elements, injuries and different things going wrong. And the chances of only 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 one horse and getting to the Derby is that's like a million to one. So um, for you to get to the Derby, you're going to start with 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. I mean, guys have I mean, there's people that have hundreds of horses and have never had a Derby start or ever. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's. Wow. um. It's yeah, they they might a, want to find for, a new endeavor. What I'm <laughs> hearing, Chuck, is <laughs> keep that suitcase locked. Keep the suitcase locked full yeah. of money. I like right, the money I know, out. We got to go, but I got one last question for you because here's the thing. There's a term, and it's uh, it's now become political, but it, 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 and it says horse trading. It's like, oh, we're horse trading. Yeah. But it really just yeah, means but... that it's the hardest, shrewdest bargaining that you can do because selling and buying a horse is is that difficult is it still that way is it still like about like the hard shrewd deal or has it become more uh baseline like any other business where commodities are bought and sold i mean look it's still no it's still a hard i mean it's a hard thing to do that's um you know it's a lot of elements to it um you know you're trying like when you're trying to buy a horse you're trying to combine everything you're looking at his pedigree you're looking at um looking who owns it looking at, at its how athletic it is and then you got a guy who's selling it you don't know if the guy's just trying to unload the horse or he's trying or the horse is a nice horse and he's trying to get uh what he's getting you're at a public auction which is everybody's there and everybody's trying to buy the horse so um or not trying to buy the horse there's lots of uh gimmicks and games and things that happen just like any um any commerce um so you know you got to be good at it you got to be um you got to get lucky uh and it's a little like i mean i think if you like baseball it's like like at the astro astro ball if you read that book it's more it's about the the all the details and the numbers and the the all the elements of the you know the the um percentages and numbers and different things but it's also the 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 human you know they they factored in human instinct guys who who can hit in the clutch and who can't and that's why they were successful they combined the two so horse racing is like that you're combining all the everything the science behind it but also you're just straight good old-fashioned horsemanship trying to figure out you know which one's the fastest good old-fashioned horse sense yep Exactly. Sean Clancy, thank you. Um, if people want to find you, learn about this a little bit more, where do they go? Just give us a plug for your... Uh, it's is where our website's thisishorseracing.com. That's our publishing website. And my stable's River D Stable, which runs uh, flat and jump and uh, around the world. There you go. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. Sean Clancy, <laughs> thank you very much indeed. Uh, Thanks, guys. What Dr. Harrison was saying by drilling down into the genetics 
is one side. You look at a lifetime of growing up with horses, being a jump jockey from the age of 13. Wow. And what I, what blew me away was, what's the first thing you do? I look the horse straight in the eye. I know, that's... Because mm. the characters, they have their own unique characters. Yeah, yeah. And this is what he wants to find. Right. There's so, I mean, all of the numbers, he's just wrapped up there. All of the numbers, all of the statistics, all of the... I mean, basically the horse's logbook. Right. Like you would buy a car. And you're going then, but then I got to think, what's this horse like in a certain stage of a race? What's this? Is it built to do this? Can I get this horse to go a little bit somewhere else? Can I see potential mm -hmm. above and beyond what it's shown in the past? Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. The sport of kings, and you have to it be one to afford it. I'm just very upset that I didn't ask him if he's ever looked a gift horse in the mouth. Damn it. I missed that opportunity. Sean. <laughs> well, that's our show. Uh, and we'll never know, will we, unless we get Sean back. Um, he may well do so. Uh, from Chuck Nice. And Gary O'Reilly. This has been Playing With Science and our Thoroughbred special. And hopefully your money isn't wasted on the Kentucky Derby. Um, I know mine won't be because it's not going to go on the horse. Mm -hmm. uh, yep, we look forward to your company very, very soon. You enjoyed this show, hopefully. And we ask you to go and find the rest of our shows with Playing With Science. Catch up soon. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.